my identity wasn't wrapped up in how many doors I had. My identity wasn't wrapped up in our auxiliary income. Our My identity wasn't wrapped up in like this business. My identity was wrapped up in this team that I was creating. I don't throw darts at a board. I bet on sure things. Read Sun Tzu, The Art of War. Every battle is won before it's ever fought. Think about it. Guys, I just wrapped a conversation with Sarah Laidler, who is one of my favorite people in the industry because she's doing something really interesting. She's going big in a small market. Big fish, small pond. I love this strategy. She's making it work. Her ambition has allowed her to have a disproportionately large business relative to where she's at. And uh, I think this strategy is something that, that is accessible to both PMs that are in smaller markets, but also for PMs that are in big markets and looking for, how do I stand out? How do I make a difference? How do I have an impact on my community that drives the fuel, the passion, and the heart of my business? Ton of nuggets here. I think you're going to enjoy it. Check it out. Welcome to another episode of the Profitable Property Management Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Muela, and today I am here with Sarah Laidler of Accolade Property Management out in Ellensburg, Washington. Sarah, thanks for coming on. Thanks so much for having me today. It's been a while. We've actually had one interview before, so I'm excited to do a little check-in. Give us uh, give us an update on just some basic stats. What does the company look like today in terms of door count, head count, asset classes. What do you got going on over there in Washington? Yeah, we've definitely had a lot of um, changes and a lot of growth. So I know a lot of um, markets are shifting and there's lots of sales and um, people are losing doors right now. We're really not in that position. So we've been really fortunate. We are just have kind of really been exploding. Um, and so this last year, um, we are up probably 350 doors. So we have been just absolutely... Um, expanding and growing. We've always been only doing class A properties. And so we had an opportunity this year with a really great class A owner, but more of a class B property. And so that's been a little bit unique and different for us because um, we like the individual and we see the potential that the properties could have. And so we really have taken those on and um, are working towards moving the property class up, um, both from the asset standpoint and then also from the tenant mix. Um, and so that's been a fun challenge and um, definitely an exciting new adventure. And remind me, what is the population in Ellensburg? Oh, shoot. Jordan, ballpark. 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 Like, I don't know, 15,000? 15,000. And how many, how many? You can't ask me. You have to prep me for this because <laughs> I'm not like, I don't do population. I should have known this. Someone I'm, Google this for me. I'm sure this is close enough. And what? how many doors are you managing right now? Total. Um, total, we've got around 12. 50-ish. Man, out of a 15,000 person population, you're you're really on the map there. And you're particular about the asset class. Yes. You don't go, you, why was that a line in the sand to draw for you from day one or was it a, a day one thing? It was always a day one thing. So as you know, we started um, property management based on managing our own assets and all of our assets were class A assets. So that's just what we knew and that's what we liked. Um, also, we just felt like it matched our, it was the business model that we were following. So, um, you know, there's a lot of people who deal with all the delinquent rents and domestic violence and all those type things. And we just 
it wasn't something that we ever dealt with. So we just liked um, the demographic that we worked with. And then also we just felt like we understood the um, level of service that uh, the type A demographic desired. And we were able to deliver on that. And so the idea of expanding to a different class seemed difficult to us just as far as like the labor behind the scenes and, you know, different class properties bring different uh, challenges and different opportunities. And so we just liked the opportunity of the first class properties. It was the kind of, it was congruent with the kind of business you wanted to run. Absolutely. And what is the mix in asset class? Is it all single family? Is there some light multi in there? We've got some light multi in there. So um, we, our largest asset right now is a hundred units. We've got several, you know, 25 to 50 unit. We picked up a 93 unit this uh, year. We also picked up a storage unit facility. So uh, that's something that's kind of unique and different. Um, so that's fun. What about ancillary business units? Other than just strict, straight up property management, you're doing anything with maintenance, you're doing anything with HOA. Yep. So we've got 15 HOAs now. And so that's definitely like a huge growing um, need and um, definitely a niche that we've um, been filling. And so that's exciting. Um, Central Washington, uh, there's a lot more HOAs being developed right now. And um, there's no one else doing that work. And so um, it's exciting to be a part captive of Captive audience. Very captive audience, for sure. Um, and then same thing, like the level of service that we're desiring to provide is different. So um, it's our captive audience has really grown. So now we've gone statewide, just um, people who own those properties, they're typically second homes. And so they've got their primary residence. And so after they work with us on their secondary home. They're like, oh my gosh, we have an HOA where we live. Like this is so much better than what we've experienced. So it's interesting how that's causing a ripple effect and bringing in an additional business. Ground up growth. Ground up based. Growth. Yep. Love that. What's your view on what's different about managing in a small rural environment? Not maybe not rural, but a smaller town as opposed to a population center of five, 600K. What do you, what's the feel or the ethos of the difference? So we have to be so connected to our local market. So when we're at the grocery store, when we're walking down the sidewalk, we are running into our tenants, we're running into our owners, and we're running into our vendors. So you really can't go anywhere and not see someone that you know. Um, and so that's definitely something that's unique. Also, I mean, just protecting your reputation and continuing to do a good job. Like you want that anytime, but there's nothing to hide behind when you're in a small market, when you're a big market, I don't know, maybe you can kind of fly under the radar, not, you know, in the small market, everyone knows what's going on. Everyone's watching. Um, and also just been interesting because of like, when I look at the Ellensburg market as a whole, when we first came in and started managing there were so many self-managed units and so many properties that were vastly under market rent. And um, not to like pat ourselves on the back, but it's kind of crazy to see that with our level of professionalism, like what has happened with the market rents, like obviously there's the market conditions that are affecting that, but also just the vast majority of units that we had and us recognizing what markets rents were, it really just the whole town Kind of we were able to completely like change the market of Ellensburg um, and really impact a lot of lives, whether they self-manage or manage with us. Because as our, as we recognize what the management um, or rents should be, everyone started coming up, whether they're working with us or not. So it's been pretty interesting to watch. 
So you managed adding 350 doors within the last year. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of growth. That's a lot of growth. The blessing and cursing of our industry is recurring revenue. You could add 350 units or you could not. And the reality is if you don't, life can still be pretty okay. If you're running a good shop, if it's profitable, you can go sideways and have a great lifestyle. Mm -hmm. You've elected to keep growing. What are your observations about how the organization has changed at these different scales and stages of growth? Yeah, I definitely think... Um, Beyond the scale and the growth changes, we're also like in the middle of doing all this with like COVID happening where there's so many people making like employee moves as well. Mm -hmm. So we've gone from, you know, I had team that been with me for 14 years and I had two key staffing transitions in the last two years as well. So with that and then also with the growth, it's just been um, really interesting trying to like kind of like navigate that and recognizing like for me, like my goal is to continue to grow. I... Um, don't want to grow to be the biggest, but like I like the continual challenge. So like it's hard for me just to sit stagnant and be like, okay, like we've reached a point and we're like, okay, because it just feels too status quo. I feel like, man, there's like still impact that we could have and reach that we um, can take. And so, um, yeah, so it's just been interesting, like seeing like what that looks like as far as like um, our growth has like been skyrocketing, but then also bringing on new key team members and explaining the vision and helping them buy in. But then also like, for me, like I place so much value on my team and I've always had so much pride in like, I've got the best team. So having a team transition during all the COVID and everything was like heart wrenching for me. Cause I'm like, what? Like, but we're building something great. Like you can't leave, like, this is not okay. Like you can't, we like make like, um, and so, um, you know, it's been like the emotional roller coaster of like, no, like we're building something good, like, but we're the A team, like, but like, but now the A team, like, is going to be a different A team, and then you know, working towards finding the right people, and then as we have the uh, right people in place now, it's like really exciting to see, like, just a renewed energy and a renewed like, mm -hmm. people are like, yeah, like we want to grow too, we, because um, it is easy, like once you kind of reach a point and everything's kind of cruising along, I think. Um, whether you're the business owner or a key staff member, you can kind of put it on cruise control mm -hmm. and have, I don't want to say easy, but like everything's running. Like you've stable. got your system. It's very stable. So it can be just super like easy, like cruise control. And um, just with my desire to be like, there's, there's more for us. Like there's more impact that we can have. And so... I do find it ironic that you said you don't want to be the biggest. I mean, on a per capita basis... For a 15,000 person town, you probably like the equivalent of like managing 10,000 units in a, in a larger town. Mm -hmm. Surely you must be the largest management company by several measures in yeah. your city. We're definitely in the, yeah, like we. So you are the biggest. Everyone pretty much says that we manage the town and that is accurate. So we, we manage the town. I do have a few competitors, but uh, just different business models and different philosophies on what we do entirely. But um, yeah, we. We're the big fish. When I think about aspiration and growth, I tend to think about the challenges that I'm going to need to solve rather than just the place that I want to get. The destination is easy to define. The challenges that undergird and underlie it, that's really the work is solving disparate, bigger, increasing challenges that I'm currently ill-equipped for. When you think about the journey of getting to the size and scale that you're at, what were some inflection points or some specific challenges where like you really felt this was the cost of what you had to do, solve and get over to in order to keep growing? 
I think the biggest like challenge is just finding the right team members. Um, and so back to like my identity being wrapped up in this like really stable team and then having transition, like going through like the middle, like, did I do something wrong? Was it them? Was it like our business? Like, is our business not like, why would anyone want to leave? And so really recognizing that like, what I love, like what I'm passionate about is really growing a team. Like that, that's where I get excited at the end of the day is like, how do we like develop something together and um, just take on a challenge? And so that's been like, definitely like the biggest thing, like, and then also trying not to be like prideful as far as like, okay, we've got this business. Let's just take it on. Let's just take it on. Like, but really being like, okay, like we've got to stop taking on business because like we're developing a team and I don't want my team to get burnt out. So mm -hmm. I want to like get the best people in place. I want to get them trained up. And then I don't want people burning out. Like I want them to be equipped to do their jobs successfully. Um, and so that's probably been like the biggest, like just like challenge. Staffing. Staffing. What about remote? Has that become a thing for you? It really hasn't. So I know a lot of people are loving the whole remote thing right now. We've got one remote team member, um, but she started out as an in-person team member mm. and um, has gone remote. And so she lives across country and that's worked well. Um, but we've gone through three different remote team members and we just haven't found the right one or I'm not, maybe that's my challenge. I don't know how to uh, bring someone up. So um, yeah. I, it's definitely something that we are interested in like learning more about, but we haven't mastered that. What are some key strengths of your business? If, if I was to talk to 50 different operators, what do you think is unique about your capabilities that you're, you're getting particular leverage from? We are process-based. So we've got our systems down, like everything's documented, everything's outlined. Um, we could bring in probably a little bit more technology as far as like automating things um but we're like someone could come sit down and i could be like okay these are right now assigned to jordan we're reassigning them to sarah and i could walk myself through the steps and figure it out so um i think that's something that's really a key differentiator and then also just like the company culture of like we've got each other's backs so if something gets missed someone else picking it up and making sure it happened and then the conversation isn't like you drop the ball the conversation is like where was the hole in the system like, why did the ball get dropped? And sometimes it's like, okay, we're human. Like, that's just part of living. Um, but I think those are like two like really um, key components. And then also just like caring. Like, we truly care about the clients. We care about the tenants. We care about the properties. And um, obviously, like, we, we want to make a good living and we want to be profitable. But um, it's not just about the fee for us. It's more. That's an interesting sentiment. How do you feel like that that impacts or relates to your desire to have longevity with your staff? How, how would your staff, what would they say or how would they articulate what you just communicated about the, the care piece? I mean, it's always like you do what's right no matter what. And I just feel like if you always do what's right, like the blessing will always flow. Like everything will always like work out. So what's right isn't always what's convenient and it's not also not what's like cheapest. So um, our team will see like if we screw up and make a mistake, sometimes like we could cover that up and the owner would never know. But like, I'm like, no, like Accolade needs to write a check for that. Cause that's not, like, it's just not okay. Like mm -hmm. we dropped the ball, like let's make sure that that's right. And so I think um, having team members that see like, even at a cost, like even if it's a sacrifice for us, we're gonna do what's right. Um, I think that just really, 
creates like a culture where people then aren't feeling like they're having to cover things up and also like mm -hmm. recognizing that like failure isn't necessarily it's just like a stepping stone like it's part of like the learning process and so i think just really like creating that atmosphere um is something that you know we have open conversations this happened like who's getting that fee is the owner getting that or are we getting that like obviously we have a contract that outlines it but sometimes it's not always clear like this is property management there's not like a everything's not black and white Mm -hmm. Talk to me about some more policies and some other axioms where you've made specific decisions in how you run the business that answered a thousand other questions. What are some other uh, stands or decisions that maybe you see you've made in how you run the business and some peers haven't that you feel like have simplified and allowed you to execute well? I don't know if this answers your question entirely, but like call people back. I mean, this sounds so dumb, but I cannot tell you how many clients like we talk to both like future clients and current clients are like, oh, I just so appreciate that you actually call. But to me, it's like back to like just like the simple, like do the simple things well, like call people back. Answer honestly, if you don't know, like tell them you'll get back to them and get the answer. But I think just that like being authentic um, and not always being quote unquote professional. And like, I guess what I mean by that is like, don't give a vanilla answer to make it sound good. Like make sure you're delivering real data. And if you don't know, don't pretend like, you know, don't speculate, don't speculate, like get back to them. And people just, I think appreciate that. And then, yeah. That's an interesting answer. There's some folks that don't want to get on the phone that would prefer to change the medium or the format of communication to suit the management company. How do you feel about phone, email, text? We're still very customer based. And so what I mean by that, like if I'm going to onboard, say, a new maintenance coordinator, like we have a vendor list that we will go through and say, this vendor wants a phone call. This vendor wants a text, this vendor. But back to that small town, I don't have the luxury of being like, no, like if you work with us, you, you have, have to, to email. Do it this way. That's not how it works. Like we work with a ton of one man shops. And um, what's awesome about that is you have vendors that really care too, because it's them personally on the line. But that also means that we are doing a lot of accommodating. But to me, like, I don't feel like that's been a prohibitive part of our, of our growth. I just feel like whoever's coming on just needs to know, but like, we're so relationship based. So, um, yeah, I, I guess it's like, if you had a friend that was like, oh, like you can only reach out to me between like 8am and 9am. So like, if you want to be friend, like I wouldn't want to do business with them or, or I wouldn't want to be friends with them. And so I think the same thing is true for us. Like, I know a lot of people just draw a line in the sand, but for us, we like developing the relationships and it's not inconvenient because if you know, I always text you, I just always text you. It works for the specific play that you're making, which mm -hmm. is distinct. You're in a smaller market. Yep. You have a lot of saturation. I assume that at some point there's only so many properties to manage. How, how do you think about, do you think that there is a, a cap somewhere in the near future? Can you keep adding 350? a year and how do you relate to adding doors versus adding other uh, revenue and income from ancillary business units like HOA or others? Right. Um, well, we definitely, you know, we're in this small town, but we have another small town 20 minutes away called Clay Alum, and we have expanded there quite a bit. And so we 
we're shifting there and then we're also shifting to Yakima. Um, and that's interesting just because our um, the way that we're doing business is kind of shifting based on the market. So in Ellensburg, we're like very, we've got a little niche and everything's kind of moving along. Um, 200 of the units, just shy, or I guess 150-ish of the units we brought on are in Yakima this year. And so that's been a really unique challenge because um, we're finding we've got our systems dialed in in Ellensburg, but what works in Ellensburg isn't necessarily working in Yakima. For example? Um, so for example, um, what our fees are for move-in. So in Ellensburg, we've got our standard like criteria is one month's rent plus a security deposit at move-in. The security deposit and one month's rent are equivalent. In Yakima, um, we're pricing people out. They don't have that much money to come do a move-in. So we're recognizing that we aren't running the units because they don't have the move-in funds. So we need to adjust the security deposit down. Um, but it also kind of makes sense because in with dealing with a lot of college students, if the security deposit is 2000 bucks and there's four of us, we're each come up with 500 bucks and it's easy where in Yakima, it could be a, you know, a family and um, they, they don't have that money. But then also we're expecting to not have the same damage level too, just because college can be really fun some nights. And we see those properties after the fun nights. <laughs> so this is not student housing. It's not student housing. Okay, got yeah. it. Talk to me a little bit about how you deal with the maintenance side of the business. What opinions do you have about what it looks like to do maintenance well? Yeah, so we have uh, a maintenance company as well. So we've got two techs on that team. And how we've decided to do that is our um, project manager who coordinates like the head of our maintenance on the um, management side, she's also one that's directing our maintenance tech. So she's scheduling them every day. She's coordinating that. Um, she's even prepping all the bills for that. Um, and so we found that that has just been a really good um, marriage. Uh, the other thing is that we recognize that we're not always the vendor that should be going to the property. So back to like doing what's right. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes there's another vendor that's going to be cheaper. And they'll do it just as well as us. So great, we'll send the other vendor. Um, other times we know that we'll be more expensive, but we can get in there a week before someone else can get in there. And then if we're calculating the lost rent, mm -hmm. it is technically cheaper. And so then just having that conversation with the property owner to recognize like, yeah, you're right. When it was occupied, we send this other vendor in. Yeah, it was cheaper, but we can wait a week for the other vendor, but you're never going to get that rent back. And really educating our clients on like why decisions are made. Because I think sometimes there's not that education piece. So then there's the frustration from a client because it's like, well, we don't understand like what the property management company is doing. But if you're just communicating um, and giving the reasoning, people appreciate it because it's too easy to speculate. Is it true that you're more likely to get a type, a class A owner with a class A property? Well, that's, that's kind of been our niche. So I feel like for the most part- Because in, in, in theory, you could have a class, you know, you just kind of have a jerk, something that's just yeah, difficult to work with, but they have a nice true. property. Yeah, that is true. I mean, for the most part, we've got good owners. And then also like back to just like our management contract, this isn't set up best for uh, if I'm prepping to sell the company, but for operation, I like it as our management agreement is just a month to month agreement. And I always tell a client like, if for any reason you don't like working with us, I want you to be able to walk. But just as much, if I don't like working with you, I want to be able to walk. And um, I think people just appreciate that, like, transparency. And so um, that's how we have it set up right now. And obviously, if I'm prepping to sell, probably not my best interest. But 
Um, Let's talk about sales. Obviously, there's a lot of M&A in the industry right now. Mm -hmm. Everybody hears whispers and chatters about that. Maybe somebody's sat you down and talked about potentially mm -hmm. buying your business. How do you think about that? What would it take for you to be interested in a sale? That is just so interesting right now. So, I mean, obviously there's some big players coming in and there's lots of conversations. So I'm uh, looking forward to just seeing how that all plays out. But also it's a little bit, um, I guess like I'm trying to like sort it in my mind a little bit of like, I've got this FOMO, like I totally feel like I'm missing out because there's all these big names and they're all jumping ship. And I'm like, wait, like what's going on? Like those are people that I really respect and um, really like value who they are as professionals. <clears throat> and so that's super interesting. But then it's also like when I look at social media, like I'm not a huge social media poster. I probably spend too much time on social media just like watching. But I think it's so easy to look at other people and see like the platform and want the platform, like want to like, it looks all shiny, but not recognizing like what it took to get there or maybe the false portrayal that's happening. And so I think for me right now, like I am really trying to be like, okay, like what's what's happening here? And like, is it too good to be true? Cause sometimes there's always there's always a potential I, for uh there is. Vernier. They say those that can do and those that can't teach and podcast. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. But there it seems like there's some really good opportunities out there at the same time. So I am just kind of going through the weeds and trying to like decipher like What's real, what's fake, and what's shiny that I think, like, I want to wipe off the shine and just get to, like, what's see what really, the real, see what the real deal is. is, yeah. Speaking of social media, this is a random segue, but I saw you post a story a while back about being, driving with your family in the backwoods yeah. of Washington and coming upon another family that was stranded. Tell me that story. What happened This is there? the craziest story. So every year, the day after Thanksgiving, we go to get our Christmas tree. So when we go get a Christmas tree, we pack up, like, go way the heck out in like no man's four wheel land. drive four wheel drive and um have you ever met my husband i have once okay cool so um have you ever seen any of his posts with his truck i, I i've seen you next to the truck okay so my husband has like the hugest jacked up jacked up truck you can find so we go farther than anyone else can go so we're driving 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 and he's even saying, like, this is kind of getting stupid. Like, if we get stuck, like, we're screwed. Like, we're having this conversation. So we're up in the middle of the woods. No one's around. And he's like, okay, like, we need to figure out a place to turn around. But there really wasn't a place. So he's like, well, we'll go around this next bin and then turn around. We come around the bin. There is a car in the ditch. And we're like, that? Because then you're kind of thinking, like, what's going on out here? Like, that's weird. And it's like, the windows are all, like, fogged up or whatever. And... Next thing you know, the person like rolls down the window. We hop out. This family has been there for 24 hours. They were heading to Seattle. I'm like, they claim their GPS took them the wrong place. But it was the craziest thing. A husband, a wife, and like a three-year-old kid. Three-year-old kid's barefoot. There's like, I mean, we're fully snowsuited up. And it was so crazy. She burst into tears because she's like, hallelujah, someone just found me. I really felt like God like directed us to them. So it was really crazy. So my husband has huge trucks. So it took us like an hour. And my husband is like the best snow driver and everything. And his jacked up truck, we were hooking ropes up and working on pulling them out. And um, so it was exciting. Got them out of there. They were not very good drivers. So then I actually ended up driving their car out. And my husband followed and pushed because it was... They had no business meeting out there. And I don't know who, when they put in their GPS to go to Seattle, 
on the day after Thanksgiving. So it's a pretty busy holiday. I'm not quite sure where the common sense was there, but yeah, they were stranded out in the middle of nowhere heading to Seattle. I don't know. That's It was weird. That's wild. But it was crazy. Yeah. For the four years that I lived in Portland, I did get more exposure to the beauty of the Pacific Northwest. And that's one of the advantages of living there is the outdoors. What is your work-life balance like? Do you find that you're able to, at you know 1,200 units and counting now, are you able to take advantage of um, being outdoors? Let me ask you a more specific question. What does your number of hours worked look like now as opposed to when you were at 600 doors, 200 doors, et cetera? How has that ebbed and flowed? Yeah. So um, with the staffing transitions we've had, I've worked more hours in the last two years than I would like to admit. Um, I've also been kind of like, I need to like reel it back because I've gotten into the weeds way more than I need to be in the weeds. Um, but back to just like, as we're like transitioning and moving, like when there's been someone stable there for 14 years and then they leave, like, I really didn't know like what they did in their role. I mean, I did know, but it all ran so smooth. I I didn't have to know. Yes. I feel you. And so there was a little part of me that was, um, it was almost kind of like scary, like, oh my gosh, like I actually don't know what's going on here. And I want to be able to make sure that like I've got good checks and balances in place and that I know the role well enough to be able to oversee. And like when I'm placing someone in that role, like what is it that I'm looking for? And what are things that like key things that I should be looking for that I should know? And so um, that has was really hard for me because like I was having to learn like all sorts of things that I didn't normally do. But at the same time, like it has been such a confidence booster because now I'm like, okay, like I know what's happening in every role. Mm. And mm. Um, now I'm like, okay, like I want to just place the right person, like get out of the way. But like if something is off, I feel like I will have the awareness now to like identify it. But I know a lot of property owners are like, oh man, like get out of the weeds. And I'm all for that. Um But for me, I I don't know. It's just been kind of really nice getting in it. And then also, like, there's been changes and adjustments that, like, I've wanted to make over the years, but I've had team members that weren't wanting to do that, like, resistance. And so it's been nice to kind of, like, get in there a little bit, see what's actually going on, and then making that decision, like, okay, like, I do still want to do this or I don't want to do this. Or, like, okay, like, I see why they don't want to do this because it's a lot of work, but, like, it's still worth it. So we've had some pretty major, like, software transitions transition shifts and things that like I've wanted to do and like banking transitions like those are big mm-hmm. but um they've been needed to be done and so I just feel like I'm kind of like getting everything like aligned how I was wanting it to be aligned to be able to step back just a bit. Be, yes to be able to step back like so um yeah I have been told that I'm the most active owner in the company and I don't know that that's a good thing I but also I, I enjoy that so and it's back to like developing the team to me like I'm like I don't yeah, I, I need to probably step back more. My husband says that he's not working Fridays this year and I better not be working Fridays. So that's the goal. So I will be voting on Fridays this summer. There you go. You said it on camera. I said so it on camera. So, yep. so I've, been, I've been prepping my team. Like just so you guys know, Jim's not working Fridays. I'm not working Fridays. I'm not going to be in. So, so does your husband work in the business as well? He does not. Mm-hmm. Got it. Okay. So when you think about the delegation and the march towards that, what what would somebody have need to have said or what would you have needed to have heard prior to the staff departure for you to have maybe had a vision to have had the kind of systems that would have been sufficiently robust that there would have been less impact for somebody to leave? Um, 
I think the biggest thing, like when you have people that have been forever, like keep like write everything down, like write, 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 like everything needs to be documented. And um, I feel like we were really good at that on like company wide, but then like specific roles, I didn't feel like we had that down for that mm -hmm. key role. It can feel like busy work. Yes. And um, back to like just that resistance, like is it was a company initiative that we we're working towards, but just the resistance from that one individual like documenting it. And so then once it was like all coming down, it was like, oh my gosh, like we need this like mm -hmm. written down. Um, so. So what's the flip side of your, your seem loyal, you have a, a tight company culture, I assume you're in a small town, inverse flip side, hard conversations, assertiveness, drawing lines, enforcement, compliance. How do you how do you balance this tight company culture with enforcing the standards that you want? And what are your reflections in that one situation where you mentioned that you got some pushback and some resistance? Was that an example of that was just part of the cost of doing business and they were they were great overall net, but that was just one small pain point? Or do you reflect and think that maybe that person wasn't in the ideal role no that person was great but i think it's just back to like growing a business like when you start and then you see so much growth and everything um and then just being so close-knit i think it's easy for people to start acting more like they're part of the family they're part of the ownership group like and so then when there is some like no like we need to like adjust this we're growing we're bringing on people i think it's hard for someone who's loyal and committed to then Remain flexible, adapt. Remain flexible. I understand what you're getting at. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. And then um, I think too, like just, we judge other people um, based on their actions, but then we judge ourselves based, based on, our intentions. on our intentions. And so I think um, that's just been like a really, you know, back to like that small company culture and everyone like being close knit and so committed to the cause that then when there is that misinterpretation or that, that miscommunication, and we're both um, judging through that lens, it, it just makes it kind of hard. It's part of those growing pains. Undoubtedly. Yeah. And as you're doing this, you're growing as a person. What are you reading? What are you consuming? What resources have been impactful to you over the last two or three years? Yeah, so I normally am like a huge business book person. And over the last couple of years, I've been doing like a lot more like personal development. And Tell us more. Even more, I don't even know if it's like personal development. Like for me, like just like I felt so hurt really. And like, I mean, just like deeply like wounded that someone, that people would leave. So it felt like so abandoned. Like why are wow, people like- Wow, really? Yes. Like it, that was like the hardest thing for me to go through. Like, but I thought we had something good and how- Wow. How can this be? So that is like really me recognizing like, man, I like my identity wasn't wrapped up in how many doors I had. My identity wasn't wrapped up in our auxiliary income. Our My identity wasn't wrapped up in like this business. My identity was wrapped up in this team that I was creating. And like if I was at a conference or if I was like meeting with other property managers, like I don't care me doors. Like what's your team like? Like my team is the best. And mm. like I truly – just believe that. So to see like in my mind, even though it was only one person, the team was disintegrating. Like I'd been doing this for 14 years and had never lost a key team player. So like, what's that mean? Like, and then also like, what's that mean for like my whole team? Because we are so close and there's so many personal relationships still connected. So like, 
how do I, I want to control everyone's perspective because everyone on the team has their own perspective from the professional standpoint, but then they've got the personal perspective and then they're all still hanging out, but like, I'm not part of the crowd anymore because I'm the leader and the business owner and just feeling so like, but, but I was part of that and now I'm not part of it. Now you've left. And so that's really where I have spent like a lot of time, like realizing like, okay, like who, who is it that I'm answering to? Like at the end of the day, who, like, is it important to me what Jordan thinks about me? Or is it more important to me? Like what my husband thinks about me or is it like, who am I answering to? And so for me, like just really being like, okay, for me, it's God. So I'm like, okay, God, like you're the one that I'm answering to. Like at the end of the day, like, have I served you well? Have I like lived a life that's pleasing to you? Am I making choices that are like honor who you've created me to be and like who you've called me to be? Um, And just because I've got a calling in my life for one thing doesn't mean that because someone else has made a life transition it doesn't mean that they're bad or that I'm bad. It doesn't mean the accolade's bad, but really just like working through that has been like a really hard challenge, like the hardest challenge, which is so funny because I feel like in business, I think that's other things. Like when I listen to podcasts, everyone always talks about like, oh, like, you know, like I had to like conquer this door, this owner. And I'm like, to me, that's the easy part. It's the re- relational part that has been like more of a challenge like well this is challenge. i find this really fascinating one thing that's really interesting about entrepreneurs is that their strengths can be their weaknesses mm-hmm. you said this person's been here for we hadn't lost a key staff member for 14 years what does it mean here's what it means sarah you have incredible staff retention that's what it means yeah <laughs> if you keep people for 14 years yeah. that's what that means and yet in the face of that you're actually feeling this strange insecurity in these questioning and that's part of what it is to be an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. I, I felt this myself recently where we hit some incredible incredible revenue velocity, mm-hmm. growing faster than ever before. And perversely, my reaction was panic. Mm-hmm. What I intuited looking at that extreme revenue growth was, whoa, if we're capable of that, we must be capable of a whole lot more. Yeah. And I'm not doing the more, so something must be broken. Yes. How warped is that? No, that, so I've experienced the same thing. So the other thing like, is so where I'm like, okay, I'm like feeling like I'm like such a huge failure for my team falling apart. But then like also seeing the exact, and I'm like, I'm like scared of my own potential. And then also like, I'm like, well, am I willing to do what it takes? To, but then I'm like, I know I am. Like, I know I've got the grit. I know I'm like the sacrifice. That's not, that's just like, it's okay. Like I am like hundred, like I can do that. But then also like, Oh my gosh, like I'm I'm a little bit bracing a bit. Yeah, for sure. How do you think about how do you advise friends that have some interest in entrepreneurship? They want to dabble. Sarah, I've got an idea. I'm thinking about doing this. Uh, you know, maybe you had a friend that said, I'm thinking about starting a property management company. What are your advice or your reflections on how to advise someone to self-assess whether or not entrepreneurship is a, a good path for them? Um, I think it's just like are you willing to work harder than anyone else? And if not, it's not for you. But like, if you're willing to commit and do late nights and early mornings and it, it it's like lonely. Cause I also think that like entrepreneurs, like they don't talk about how hard it is. And it's not very many people- Don't wanna sound oh, like a loser. You don't, want, you don't wanna sound like a loser. And you don't talk about like all the failures cause there's so many failures along the way. 
and so many challenges that you like have to overcome. Um, so I'm just like, do you want like hard? But then also like, is it in you? Cause like over the last couple of years, I can't tell you how many times I've been like, I just, I just want to live a normal life. I just want a normal life. Like I want to wake up, have my cup of coffee, like take my kids to school. I want to be a yoga mom. Like I could go like work out and get like a smoking hot body. I could like dial in my nutrition. I mean, like these are like the things I think about like have, but then I'm like, my husband's like, yeah, you'll like that for a week. And mm. then you're going to go crazy. So like, is your mind one that is constantly going? Because if it's not, you're going to burn out. Where conversely, if you're someone whose mind is constantly going, like if you're like an innate entrepreneur, it sounds really good to go mm. hang out mm. on the beach for a week. Mm. But it's only good for a week, if that. And it's really hard to like actually disconnect for a full week. Do you know what I mean? Totally. I was at the bar last night and I violated one of my cardinal rules. Uh -oh. The cardinal rule being, not, not that one, Sarah. I violated the cardinal rule of not giving people advice to pursue entrepreneurship. Because in my experience, for most people, it's a bad idea. And for those that do want to do it, they're like, screw you, it's a bad idea. I'm going to do it anyway. And then, and that's like, perfect. Then you're an entrepreneur. <laughs> that's the good, that's, awesome. the, that's the right response. So it's almost better to, um, to be kind of like, yeah, yeah I, I don't know. But I was talking to this person and they're, they are the, they're like the GM, like the key person at the company. They're not the owner. They have a little profit share interest, but I asked them a question. I said, because the, the owner is fairly absentee. I asked mm -hmm. how much more work would it be for you to engage in to be the owner? And they said, not that much. And so I was like, oh, well, that's interesting. How do you think about that? And the reflection was, because I don't want to do it. I don't want to be the owner. And I thought, well, that is a fantastic reason not to be the owner. Mm -hmm. if, if you're not 100% all the way in and yeah. you don't want total accountability for bad things happening, mm -hmm. you just want like some upside, but you don't want like the maximal downside mm -hmm. of the disaster stuff that can happen, then, you know, probably yeah. isn't for you. Probably it's not for you. And then also like watch your own track record. So actually I have a gal right now that I'm partnering with and her goal is to own her own company, um, but she's needing some assistance. So I'm probably gonna be bringing her on in like a starting another company mm -hmm. to kind of bring her on. And the goal is for me to sell it to her. Mm. But she's like really like kind of starting this. So this is a um, new venture that we're kind of working on um, together. But it's interesting because her actions are so on point. So like, she just finished her real estate licensing. Like she got it done like two weeks, like maybe that. And she's working full time and she's a current business owner. She's like, hey, I wanna open this up. So she calls me like, hey, I got done. Like the first time I can sit for my state exam is April 21st. So like, what do I need to do in the, like what's next? What's next? And I'm like, but then also like, I'm like, here's what's next. And then she calls me like, okay, I did this. And then I re and I'm like, okay, yeah, like you are on like. Me the profile. You are the profile. So yeah. I it's like, it kind of is its own reward, isn't it? Yeah. Entrepreneurship. Yeah. There's financial rewards associated with it, but it really is its own reward. Like if you don't oh, enjoy the thing for the sake of the thing and you're yeah. just doing it for the money, I don't, I don't fundamentally be, believe that that's sustainable in the long yeah. run. Mm -mm. And I couldn't imagine not having something that you're so like, I couldn't imagine having a job. Like, I don't feel like I have a job. I feel like I have like this passion and this like build, like, I don't feel like I'm working where other people would be like. You work all the time. I'm working like a dog. Yeah, and I'm like, this isn't work. Like, this is fun. Like, what are you talking about? We're creating. We're killing it. Yeah. Can I ask you a personal question? Yeah. How do you balance that, the hustle, with with family? 
on occasion, I feel some guilt when I'm when I'm traveling, when I'm on the road. I'm thinking about my kids. Sometimes when I'm with my yeah. kids, I'm thinking about work. Yeah, it's a weird dichotomy. Do you ever? Um, is that ever like create any any tension for you, reflecting on just the the ephemeral nature of kids growing versus you know this time in the business and building something there? Oh, 100 percent. And my kids are 11 and 12, and so just seeing like how short. Like I've got six years until my daughter graduates and thinking like, whoa, that is like so fast. Um, so it's definitely like, I don't feel like I have it like dialed in um, by any means, but something I've started doing recently, which is really crazy, um, but I'm like loving it is I've started taking my kids to school where they always got on the bus and they have a, they get on the bus at 6.58 a.m., mm. which is like awesome for me because like I am like at work, like ready to go for the day. And I've just like always loved that. And so for some reason this year, I've gotten into taking them to school. So I'm getting to work a little bit later. Um, but just loving that like time in the morning in the car, chatting, stopping at Starbucks, like doing all that. So I think just as the seasons like ebb and flow, but I am like, there are certain like hard boundary lines I have in the sand. So like, I don't miss sporting events. Hmm. Sorry, just don't do it. I don't take phone calls during sporting events. Like it's not an emergency. You can either figure it out or like the building will burn down, whether I answer the phone call or don't answer the phone call, like call 911 if it's that bad, they'll answer. I'm not. Um, and then also I think just like training our kids because sometimes like my kids will say like, mom, you work all the time. Like, but then also I'm like, yeah. And guess what? We do some pretty awesome things as a family and we've got choices. And this is a choice like I make sacrifices. So like we make sacrifices if, as a family to have those opportunities. So do we want to go on a nice vacation every year? Like most of your friends aren't going to do that. And there's nothing wrong with that. But also like we are making decisions on a daily basis to afford us the opportunities that we take. Um, I also don't feel like I need like a ton of sleep. So I will um, like I do. God a lot, bless you. <laughs> I do That's a lot amazing. of stuff in the middle of the night, which isn't very healthy um, all the time. But it's interesting because um, my son will wake up in the middle of the night and hear me in the office and he'll come in and be like, Mom, I don't think you should be working. I'm like, oh, I'm so like. This is so not healthy. Like, but in my mind, I'm like, I got stuff going on. Like my brain is moving and, and I want to like, I'm like, and you're sleeping. So to me, I'm like, so it's been interesting. because we have, I've have had that conversation with my kids more this year than recently. Cause Colin's like, I just don't like that mom. And I'm like, okay, help me understand like why you don't like it. Cause like, I'm not missing out on time with you. I'm not missing out on time with dad. I'm just like doing my thing. Mm -hmm. Like, let me do my thing. Mm -hmm. Like, why is this bothering you? But it, um, it does bother him. So I think recognizing like, okay, like I need to obviously disconnect a little bit more to, yeah. I So I'm not the poster child for that. Don't, I don't know. For I work too out. much. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I ask because it's a, it's a consideration for me. It's something that I, I feel the tension of and you hope you're doing it right and, and figuring it out. I think that what I experience is sometimes I can tell when my kids have a negative relationship to the business by virtue of the fact that my attention is being divided. Mm -hmm. And that's like a really clear yeah. threshold. Mm -hmm. The basic stuff, right? Like yeah. I'm on the phone yeah. doing something. So trying to multitask less, trying to focus more, but ultimately realizing that the work that I'm doing, it's not just a way to make money. Back to what we said before. Yeah. I can act like it's a it's a financial proposition. You can put it in a spreadsheet. This is an expression of my God-given God abilities, mm -hmm. my talents. I think if I was going to put some sharper language in what you said earlier, 
there's a degree to which entrepreneurship is a coping mechanism and an outlet for people who had a certain disposition and wiring Mm -hmm. that really would not have gone well had they not been able to or allowed to do entrepreneurship. So I don't say that to excuse any behavior, but I do recognize that like my my psychology, my my wiring, it needs some kind of an outlet and I'm incredibly grateful for entrepreneurship. Oh, me too, for sure. How did you do in school? What kind of a student were you? Oh, I was top of my class. Oh, really? Yeah. Good for you. I was bottom of my class. Oh, really? No, I'm a classic overachiever. Okay. <laughs> it, t- it takes all kinds, you know? It takes all kinds, yeah. But then I think, um, like, so I think it's interesting that you're the bottom of your class because, like, to me, I'm like, okay, like, in my mind, I'm like, you could probably go farther than me because I'm like, you haven't always, like, tied your identity to, like, being the best or being like the top, like it's Ooh, more like, mm. okay, like I was okay being the bottom. Like it didn't like matter to me cause I wasn't I, engaged. I, I like, didn't see the point. If it, I had seen right. the point, I would have been at the top, but I saw no point whatsoever. Yeah, I so. knew I wanted to get into business early yeah. on. Was that, when, when, when did that thought come up for you? Um, so I'm a little bit funny because my parents were entrepreneurs and so I saw them work all the time and then I saw the high highs and the low lows mm-hmm. and that's kind of what entrepreneurship is. Like totally. it, it's up and down, it's up and down. There's not like a steady. And so I desired something really steady. So I, um, started going to school to be a hygienist, dental hygienist. Cause I thought that's like a perfect mom job. Like you make good money, you have solid hours, you leave and you have no stress. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, my did an internship at a orthodontist office my first summer out of college and realized, okay, either I want to be the orthodontist or this is not for me. Like I, I don't, I'm not employable. employable. I mean, I am like, cause I, like I was a really good employee, but like long-term I'm like, I I don't, I can't imagine working for someone that just sounds horrible to me. Wasn't for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, all this stuff is not like, it's not like there's like levels or a hierarchy. It's just like, what is a fit for you as a specific person with your unique expression of giftings and abilities? That's what maturity and growth has looked like for me is realizing that you don't need to rank things or people or approaches and the desire to do so is kind of a crutch to think Mm -hmm. that there's like this hierarchy of like good or better. There's just Man, there's a lot of different stuff to do out there. Questions are like, is it going to make you happy? Is it a mm-hmm. good expression of your God-given unique abilities? And those right. look different for everybody. Um, so I love to see what you're doing, working in a small town, doing big stuff and creating, I mean, a, a name for yourself. I wish I was there to experience what the name of like accolade carries because I just have to assume people like that's the lady that's the accolade walking around that's really it's exciting and it sounds like there's surprisingly a huge amount of continued uh upside here i mean it sounds like you're just gonna take this thing about as far as you want to take it yeah you're not feeling which is so interesting to me you hear in uh, people in much larger markets they're like sell off hard times hard to acquire units you're in a fifteen thousand person market you're adding 350 a year yeah incredible yeah, and we're trained business away. So I'm like, like God, like, would you, like, why are you so gracious to us? But it just, yeah, we've just been so, so fortunate. Well, keep leaning in. All right. Glad to have you back on. Thanks for giving us the update. Thanks so much, Jordan, for having me. Jordan here asking you, what do you got? What is a question you want to ask me? Can you stump me? Can you throw me something hard? perplexing, vexing, something you feel tied up in knots with, throw it at me. 
I'll do my best to try and answer that question, to dissect it, to parse out the nuance and maybe help you get a bit more clarity. I'm looking for questions as the basis for creating content and you're looking for answers as the basis for clarity and wouldn't it be perfect if those two things matched up? Drop a comment, send me, send me an email, jordan at leadsimple.com. Let's stay in the conversation. Peace.